on now. Thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate y'all. Standing's important because those seats are way too comfortable, guys. <laughs> nice and dark in here. I can't see your lovely faces as much, but I'm excited. Uh, one thing that your pastor and I have in common is we both have really lovely wives that are a lot better athletes than we are. Uh, went a lot farther in their athletic endeavors than we did, but it's good for us, right, Ben? The, uh, the athletic stock and the, the college fund for our children moving forward. Uh, I want you to know, too, church, that I got to have a front row seat in the beginnings and even before the beginnings uh, of this church. And it was, it's been a great pleasure to see what, what the Lord's been doing here. And right when we started uh, a few years ago, I wanted to be a huge encourager to Ben and just encourage him. You know, we had planted our church a few years before. I wanted to, to be a step ahead of him and, and kind of help him out. But really, it, it's really turned out to be the other way in so many, in so many ways. Uh, as far as the excellence that, that Ben runs things with and the, and the investment and forward thinking, uh, about things that he purchases and things that he thinks through and investments he makes. He's really been a, a major encouragement to me. Um, I would say that Ben and Brandy have a leadership and strategic gift on them that is not only going to be a blessing to this church and this city, but to our movement at large, as they've been a blessing to me. So if you're here and you are plugged in, You've been through the classes, you're giving of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Please look at me. In Jesus' name, may God bless you 100-fold. And if you're here and you're just visiting, you're, you're, maybe it's your first time or you've been visiting for a little bit and you're wondering, is this a place that's safe, a safe investment to, to plug my kids into? and a safe investment for my money and my time and my talent. Let me just help you make up your mind because uh, when it's not my pulpit, I can speak with a little more candor, right? <laughs> I would say jump in and plug into the adventure. The adventure of helping people that are dying come alive, be illuminated, and see Jesus clearly. There's no greater adventure. Jump in, take the risk. That's my encouragement. Now I'm going to get to God's word here. We have a lot to cover today. I, I, I'll have you know that I have preached a two-hour sermon before. <laughs> but today, today will be the first time to preach a two-hour sermon in San Antonio, eating into a Spurs playoff game. Yeah. So, I'm just kidding, I think. So I want to preach a very personal, special message entitled... Fourth quarter comeback. Fourth quarter comeback. Now, I'll have you know that I, I can translate for you because I am bilingue. Uh, so if you don't speak fluent jock, uh, this message is still going to be for you. I think there's something about the comeback story that resonates with all of us because it says something about the God that we serve and the way he leads us in life. You know, God always brings victory to his children. Can anyone say amen? Amen. But, 
It's so often, if not always, after we desire that victory to manifest. Can anyone else say amen? <laughs> when we're prone to giving up in the third quarter, or the second or the first, God is still mounting a greater victory than we showed up for. Yeah. See, he doesn't lead us in life like this first round of the Spurs playoffs, you know? The ones that are already wrapped up in the first half, and they've got Boris Diaw in there, and Ginobili's been playing, and he's already sweating. Our life, our life is, is a lot more one of those resurrection visit victories. Jesus wants us to fight a greater fight. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. My hope is this, that we, we stand to honor God's word, but that we would have ears to hear, and that these two verses that I'm going to camp out on and go back through and hopefully be purposefully redundant in, that you would memorize this with me as I read through these. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say victory. victory. Thanks for your help there. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. And there are, Lord, there are so many people in here that are waiting on a victory, that are crying out for a victory, that are saying, God, do you hear me? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm waiting on? And Lord, you're saying to them right now, I hear you, but you need to hear me. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would encourage today supernaturally with your word. You would give ears to hear your word, way beyond my words. I trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 57 here. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I call a chest-bumping verse. <laughs> this is one of those verses where before the game, when you take, before you take the field, you know, I go up to another brother, and this verse makes me want to just chest bump with him. It's one of those feel-good verses that lifts you up, so long as you rip it completely out of context, <laughs> as so many athletes tend to do if they write verses on their shoes or on their eye things. Because verse 58 seems so incongruent with that Yay, victory, rah, rah, message. Verse 58 goes like this. Okay, so God brings victory. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, labor, toil, some versions say. That doesn't feel as good as verse 57, to say the least. <laughs> if I could sum up verse 58 with one word, it would be this word. Fight. Fight. You must be steadfast. You must contend. You must fight. Now, it's important to know that these two verses conclude a beautiful exposition of Paul for 56 other verses where he gives a manifest, manifesto of sorts for the resurrection 
of Jesus Christ. It's important to know that. And it would clarify what kind of victory that it's talking about in verse 57, specifically, namely, resurrection victory. The victory that God brings his children is resurrection victory. And of course, we know that resurrection follows anyone? Death. God wants to give us the fourth quarter comeback sort of victories. The, the victories that follow the fight of death. Now church, I'm here to tell you that God is still resurrecting things. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is still resurrecting. You guys can be a little more convincing than that. Help me preach here. Come on. God is still resurrecting things. But listen, that implies that the fight against death is still prevalent. Some of you came in here fighting some significant battles that you didn't sign up for this year. They weren't on your, your annual plan. Overcoming these battles weren't a part of your New Year's resolutions. You didn't plan on fighting against hell in your marriage, in your family, in your school, in your work, in your finances. You came into this year as a church praying together with a mutual anointing, praying, heaven, open. And nonetheless, many of you find yourself struggling to fight for simple earthly blessings. Earthly things seem to be too big for you. And I want to tell you that maybe those battles aren't simply earthly battles. Maybe they're from the pit of hell. And maybe, just maybe, don't throw a shoe at me, you'd have to have a pretty good aim from where you are. But maybe those battles are ordained by God to cause a fight in you and a fourth quarter comeback victory, a resurrection victory. He doesn't just want small earthly victory for his children. He doesn't just want the things that we're pr prone to desiring and settling for. He has a greater fight because he has an open heaven type of fourth quarter comeback victory for you. Everyone say, greater fight. Greater fight. Thank you. That's my summary of verse 58. Now everyone say, greater victory. Greater victory. Verse 57. I hope that helps you. Are, you, are we memorizing this, these verses yet? See, God is more interested in stimulating the fight within you than he is in your immediate victory. He's got bigger heaven-open victories in store for you, and therefore a greater fight that he will provoke within you. And today I want to take you on a 20-minute tour of some of the fights in my life that God has allowed that I didn't expect, that I didn't plan for, and show you how he's caused me to have a greater victory after an unexpectedly greater fight. Now just to take you all the way back to the beginning of me. Well, not all the way back, because that would be crazy and gross. That's At least back to like high school. I grew up in central Oregon, which demographers can demonstrate is actually the heart of Caucasia. <laughs> In Central Oregon, we measure diversity by the different co colors of Subarus and Priuses driving around town. And it's there that I was led to Christ through a student-empowered campus ministry, much like our Every Nation campus here. Can we give a shout-out to our Every Nation campus Woo! chapter here? 
rather be in a church with a whole bunch of wild young people than any of the other sort of uh, stabilities that people could come. I, I love the, the students coming in and out of church, sent out, gathered in. I love that life. That's the life I was born into. And when I was 15 years old, I was led to Christ in a student-empowered campus ministry. Prior to that, I was a regular type of lost person. The type of lost person that thinks they know Jesus. I went to church every once in a while. I, uh, I thought I knew Jesus, but the Jesus that I was accustomed to wasn't the Lord Jesus. He was the genie Jesus. The Jesus that I would try to get his powers to get what I wanted out of life instead of fighting his fight for his victories. Now, when he miraculously changed my life on September 18th, 1997 in Mr. Shupnik's math classroom in Bend High School in Central Oregon. I was resurrected and I was given new eyes to see Jesus clearly. I was, I was given new power, a new victory, and a new fight. A new fight to see Jesus clearly and to see young women in that light. It wasn't just my effort. It was, it was there that I got connected to Mr. Shupnik that math teacher and his family, and I noticed something very intriguing about him, namely his youngest daughter, who was my age. And I got a crush on her. You see, the thing about her is, is that's the first time I actually was attracted to a young woman's soul and her external beauty in probably that order. It was this crazy, amazing both-and thing. And nonetheless, she was confidently disinterested in me. <laughs> she wasn't as impressed with me as I was with me. And that really bothered me, but yet intrigued me. And so for years, I kept pursuing, and I was just going to just be there for whenever, you know, inevitably she would say yes to all my advances. And I'm glad that it was uh, no for so long, because there was a fight that Jesus wanted to develop it within me. You see, I was so rejected at that time, like, God, I've given my life to you, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing you, I'm putting you first. What is this that you would treat one of your young servants like this, all this rejection? <laughs> and at that time, Jesus was more interested in, in a greater fight within me than he was in the small victory that I was pursuing. Are there any young people here? Are there any single people here? Are there anyone, is there anyone here fighting for your identity in Jesus? Knowing that the victory of having your identity attached to someone else is in his hands, even if it's not in yours. That was the fight for me. Jesus had a greater fight and a greater victory. Well, a few years later, there was a, a small victory, at least, that came my way because Mr. Shupnik's daughter had to go to winter formal with someone. And I have a picture of that here. I have suits. I have since found out that there are actual sizes for suit jackets. So, a 180-pound young man wearing his dad's 300-pound dad's suit jacket looks like that. Uh, but you know, at that moment, we went to winter formal, and I just—it was somewhere. She let me touch her shoulder. I smelled her hair. I was just done. I was spitting. I was like, God, I'm not asking the question anymore. How much can I? do without sinning with a girl, but what do I do to please you and honor her? That was this, this whole new fight and victory that Jesus opened up in my eyes. And I was like, God, I'm not going to, sex is for marriage. 
I used to think sex is to wait until high school, but now sex is for marriage. What do I do? I can wait until after high school. <laughs> and I realized that the Lord wasn't telling me a date. He just said, okay, not today. Fight to know me today. Fight for your purity today. The victory of marriage is not today. And not today lasted seven years until we have another picture. Mr. Shuknik's daughter became Mrs. Dusan. Uh, my uh, gender neutral haircuts have since changed. I knew that when I stuck with that haircut, my kids would see it someday, but oh well. See, right when we got married, we had a dream. We had since been connected with Every Nation Ministries and really saw people reaching people the way I was reached, and it lit a fire in me. This is what I was made for, the, the diversity in every nation, the evangelism, the spirit empowerment. This, was, this is what I was made to do, and I went into ministry right away after college, and my wife and I, we got married, and we were into this. this is, she swam at the University of Texas, and she was a part of the, the, the swim team and the, the campus ministry there, and we went to plant a campus chapter at Texas State University, where I graduated from. For years, I fought through my own leadership flaws and repelling peculiarities that I thought were so cute at the time, my stagnating pride and my impatience. And honestly, I thought I would be way better, way faster at ministry. But it's like God wanted me to fight a greater fight than the immediate victory I was seeking after. Ministry started to grow little by little, and God started to show me things through those intense, fortifying years at the beginning. And into that, as we started to grow as a campus ministry, we had a pastor come down and set in some elders and start some Sunday services, plant a church without any of the forethinking that's been put into this church. Uh, you can do anything once. Three months after he got down there and started the service, he moved to Tennessee. And I was the one left there. And most people at 26 years old in my position would, would be like, man, God, this is a lot for me. I need to humble myself and learn things. But see, me, I was different. I was confident. I was like, God, this might be a crazy situation, but at least you've got me. <laughs> and, uh, well, that hurt a little bit. I learned that our church wasn't growing as fast as I thought it, it would grow. And I would look at things that bothered me and I had no one else to blame but myself for. And that was a real hard moment. It was good for me. It caused a greater fight in me because God wanted a greater victory than that thing that I was settling for. Everyone say, greater fight. Greater fight. Greater victory. He was stimulating the fight within me because the victory of a refined, fortified church is a beauty like none other. And those years were formative and beautiful for us. In the middle of all this, uh, with the Every Nation Campus uh, Outreach, Missions Outreach actually, we were called forth to go to Mexico. And my wife and I went together early on in our marriage and we went to Mexico on a mission trip and came back after seeing young people touched by God, came back with, with a passion to reach the nations. And I also came back with salmonella poisoning. And when that went through my system, something even worse 
rose up in my system. What I learned later was a lupus reaction and a reactive arthritis. I went through months of pain, danger in my body, couldn't sleep for weeks, intense pain, it ended up not being able to walk. My wife would wheel me on campus. Uh, the doctors didn't quite know what was happening. At one point, they thought I was just trying to get drugs, painkiller drugs. Um, I lost 40 pounds. It was an immense thing. And I, after a little while, I was crying out to God and saying, God, I, I need to be relieved from this agony. I tried everything. I had little kids lay hands on me. Um, I had people ask me all sorts of weird questions that really was just based out of anxiety. Uh, I just was crying out to God. And it's like he had a greater fight that he wanted me to be steadfast and immovable for than just my immediate victory of relief from agony. A few months later, I started to feel a little bit better. I was walking again. And I came into a new year, 2008, and I was able to, to walk a little bit. I did my blood work, and the doctor told me, you know, you might be feeling a little bit better, but my rheumatologist says, he says, you, your, your inflammation inside your body is so dangerous that it could really affect your major organs, and, and you could die. But there's one or two things you can do about it. You can go on one or two drugs, neither of which you will ever be able to have children on. And he just kind of said, take your pick. And my wife and I are sitting there. She's starting to tear up. And we always wanted a big family. And we're looking at each other like, no, oh, we just got married a few years ago. We want children. This is not the news we want. And so we said, doctor, well, give us a few months to try to have a baby and pray about this and all that. And in those months, I mean, the anxiety of, of infertility and trying to get pregnant, we We've since suffered much more than months of this, but years. But those months when I wasn't sure if I was going to be dying or not were so difficult. And we tried to get pregnant, and it's like God wanted us to fight for something greater than our immediate pregnancy victory. And in those months, though, I started to really feel better, and I was wondering, is this, am I just convincing myself, getting in my head that I'm feeling better, or am I actually feeling better, better? And I went back to the doctor, and I said, check the numbers again. And he runs my blood numbers and he looks back and says, well, your inflammation levels is 18 times what's considered dangerous in the human body. And I said, look, that was exactly what it was the last time I was in here four months ago. And he looks down at the paper, he looks back up at me, he looks down, flips the paper over and goes to the next page. And this blank looks, gets on his face and he looks up at me, looks back down, looks up again, says, I don't know how to explain this, but... Your blood work is absolutely normal. Your flare is completely gone. He said, what did you do? He wanted to know, what did you do? I said, well, we, we, we did this diet thing. He's like, well, that can't work. What else did you do? I said, well, we had little children praying for us. And he said, well, the power of positive thinking has been known in many cases. <laughs> I said, doctor, that silliness maybe is why I had to fight through all this, because God wants to do something in you. He looked at me and smiled, and he's still working on that man. I kid you not, though, three days later, after that blood work, we found out about it. We found out that we were pregnant with our oldest. We have a picture of, here, of her, of the ultrasound here. That's Hadassah Rose Dusan. The next spring, I'm with her in a hammock here, our little baby. And then we have a picture of her this last spring. Our beautiful little baby, God allowed us to be steadfast and immovable and give 
his victory on his timing. You know, if it weren't for the fight to be steadfast and immovable amidst death and toil, then the victory of things like parenting, I'm convinced that we would think that parenting is essentially biological and we would miss the mystery of the things that we would otherwise take for granted. There's a greater fight. There's a greater victory. And yet the fight didn't stop with us. Fast forward three years, we tried to get pregnant again when Hattie was three years old. And, we, and it's like month after month after month, a year goes by, two years goes by. I'm like, God, I've learned my lesson here. We ended up going to a fertility doctor. He's an a immigrant from Iran, and he says, well, your progressive infertility makes me think, I don't understand how you conceived the first time, but you shouldn't be conceiving at all because you were infertile. He looked at me. He says, your numbers aren't enough for me to even do treatment on. We can do one of two procedures, though. We didn't have any peace about any of those procedures. They, le they leave living humans in limbo. And I said, I think I know why I'm here, doctor. How about you, uh, if we get pregnant without doing any of these things, how about you come to church? And he smiled and said, okay. And I thought that was the plan. I was a willing servant to try to make that happen. But um, months and months go by again. And we ended up doing a different procedure with him that uh, we get the numbers back and it's still nothing. Uh, my, my, my blood work, my, my uh, fertility count was nowhere near being able to even do treatment on. In the midst of all this, we, we knew that we wanted to adopt. Adoption is one of those amazing things where you get to partner with a, a young birth mom who has, the, I mean, in the midst of a culture that is killing so many little unborn humans. The heroes of the pro-life movement are these brave young women who can, who can sacrifice for nine months and the, and the, the trauma to follow to place with a family that's willing to raise these children. We wanted to be a part of that. We wanted to raise a child up. Adoption was already always a part of our dream, but the infertility or the delayed fertility pushed that to the forefront for us. And we got a call after a failed adoption that God was causing a fight in us to grow amidst, amidst pain and dark years. We finally get the call in 2012, April of 2012, that there is a baby in the hospital. And none of the other families can, can, can adopt based on some of the conditions that he has. And they asked us to pray about it. They sent us to the hospital, and we see this picture that you see here. A little baby hooked up to so many tubes, and his guts sticking on the outside of him, undergoing a fight and a surgery that would come. We decided to adopt him. We knew, based on what God had told us, that this was our little Asa, our little man of indignation, our little fighter. And as I watched him fight, and after his surgery, he, uh, he couldn't be put on any sort of pain sedation because of his breathing. He would squeeze my finger for hours and hours because of the pain and sucking on his little bone. And I remember saying, God, why would you allow a little baby that's so cute, so precious to have to go through all this? And I remember God speaking to me in that moment and saying, to you, he's just a little baby. But to me, he is a child that I've ordained to be brought and put under your stewardship that will change the world and will speak healing to the nations. And right now, I am more interested in the fight within him than some immediate victory. He is in my hands. 
We got to see him grow and develop. Hattie got to become a big sister. I think that next picture's there. Uh, he, uh, we were worried about how he would eat because of the surgeries, but uh, in that next year he was able to eat just fine. <laughs> I think there's one more. Um, we came home, and after two months, we, uh, we were, this is the life that we, we were called to. We had, we had two children. We might be infertile, but we, we got to see God provide for us in a different way. And it was a really exciting thing because God was giving us the power to fight and to enjoy trusting in Him. Uh, but in the middle of all that, my wife began to get really tired. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's like she, she, with this one, she didn't have to recover from a pregnancy, but there was just so much tiredness. And it's like God was calling us to fight for a greater victory that we were unaware of. And that victory, we would learn, would come super soon, before Asa could turn one year old. On three years ago today, April 24th, 2013, Jesus confirmed that though he's never been to medical school, he's the final opinion on all fertility. And his opinion was Alma, this little blue-eyed baby girl who turned three today. And then he doubled down on that opinion and gave us Bethlehem, Ellen, our second little red-headed girl. That's Alma and Asa, both babies at the same time. Our next little picture is Bethlehem, Ellen. Alma, before she was still a baby, she's looking over Bethlehem, holding her. Oh, my goodness. And there's our two redheads together. When my fertility doctor learned about all this, he teared up and said, this really is a miracle, and I'll go on campus with you, and I'll tell people about Jesus. God wanted a greater fight for us, for a greater fourth quarter comeback victory. Now, I want to tell you this. There was a person who cried out to the Father for victory. He wanted his fourth quarter comeback victory. He said, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And all he heard was the painful silence. And he knew that he was supposed to fight The next day he was led to a cross and hung for hours and hours until he just finally said, Father, unto you, unto you do I commit my spirit. He didn't get the victory that he prayed for in the garden the night before because a greater victory, the greatest overtime victory in the history of the world came that Sunday morning of that same weekend, the pinnacle of history, he rose from the dead. Because of that, your very real struggles to trust in a very real God are not in vain. He always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in Him you labor. In the risen one, your labor is not in vain. Will you trust Him? There's a fight waged. Heaven is open. The enemy is against you for the fight to trust in the good one. Even when things aren't good around you, 
there is a greater victory and a greater fight. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you've called us to greater things. You've called us to a greater fight because you desire a greater victory. Many of us don't have not expected the things that we have to fight through, but we're not the ones that are in charge of our lives. We submit to you. Can you just open your hands, uh, palms open? Just repeat after me. Lord, I submit. I trust you. Forgive me for not trusting in your goodness. Unto you, I commit my spirit. Resurrect me. Allow me to trust you for a greater victory than I can even imagine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Heaven open here on earth. Amen. Hey, Peter, stay up here. Let's pray for you. Can we give Peter a big hand for just sharing this amazing word? Elisa, come on up. And I just, I want to bless them um, just by prayer. I want to just pray for them and bless them and thank them for coming and sharing this word that we so desperately needed today. Did you need that, church? If you needed that, would you extend your hand out and bless them this morning? Father, we just thank you for this couple, Lord. We thank you, God, for who they are, God. We thank you, Lord, that your promises are yes and amen. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless, God, that heaven would be open in their life. Father, I pray for refreshment right now in this season, God, that they would be refreshed and renewed in the name of Jesus. Father, I just thank you for them, God. I pray that you would bind them together in deeper ways, Father God. I just pray that you would begin to reveal your mysteries, God, this year to the both of them. And Father God, I just pray that things they touch would turn to gold. Father God, that they would find favor on their life all the days of their life. Lord, I just thank you that they're a great dad and a great mom. God, that there is no lack in them. And so, Lord, I just thank you for them. I pray a blessing over the Springs Church right now in Jesus' name. God, I just pray that you would just increase their fold, God. I pray that you would bless their church financially. God, I just pray that you would bring finances to them in amazing ways, God. Thank you for this man, this woman, for being an example of who Jesus is. We love you, Lord. Amen. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Let's give God a big hand for who he is. And I just want to encourage you. Let's give God a big hand together. Man, we love you. We are so thankful that you decided to come to Luminous and do life with us this morning. Whether you're a guest or you call this place home, where it's always good to see you. If you need prayer for anything, maybe, maybe that spoke to you. Maybe you're in the fight right now, and it's very real. It's a very real fight. Then just like Peter did, come to a prayer worker. Get some prayer. Get some help. Just ask God to come and show up and, and be reminded today that God is faithful, that God is faithful. We love you. You are dismissed. Have a great day.
there's like a big, there's an online tour
How do you say disciple in Tagalog? Discipulo. Gosh, you want to mess with uh, the toys? <laughs> 